Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliette Lamar, and I have with me today a very exciting guest. We have Natalie Meza-Garcia. She is a evangelist at Blue Frontiers, and she is doing her PhD studies on the Floating Islands Project. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, Juliette. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm, I'm so excited to learn more about what you guys are doing out, out there. So why don't you give us a little overview about, first, uh, Blue Frontiers? Sure. So Blue Frontiers is a seasteading company. Seasteading means to create floating human settlements on the ocean, mainly to tackle two problems. Firstly, the lack of innovation in traditional governance. And secondly, the fact that global warming will increase sea level, sea levels, and that will mean that in the future, many communities, many communities, many islands will either float or sink. So what we do is in our business is to kickstart that future economy of floating infrastructure that will eventually be a reality, both because of sea level rise, but also because at some point individuals will be more conscious of the possibility to improve governance by means of creating human communities that are dynamic and where they Geography allows people to vote with their houses. Wow, that's that's quite a lot of, of, of breakthrough thinking. Yes, yes. Uh, seasteading, well, Blue Frontiers emerged from a think tank called the Seasteading Institute, which was kickstarted or co-founded by Patrick Friedman and Peter Thiel. So it's been around for 10 years. In April, it's, it was its 10-year anniversary. Wow. Hmm. And, and are there these communities out there already, or is this still a concept? So you mean the communities that will be affected by sea level rise or the sea states? Uh, both. Let's talk about the communities that are affected by sea level rise and what they're doing currently to combat it and how this would be different. Yes. So approximately 30% of the islands in the Pacific will sink because many are not volcanic islands. There's no mountains. They're flat. So people live on the coral reef. So a few centimeters of elevations in water levels, and it means the end of it, the end of these islands. Some countries like Kiribati are going to completely disappear in around 50 years from now. That's why uh, the last president, he bought, some, he bought some land in Fiji because they are foreseeing that eventually they are going to have no territory. And if you don't have a territory, you're not a nation. So... This uh, this is something that Kiribati did, but many people in many places in the world, let's say Miami, for example, they're not so aware that eventually the coast of Miami will sink. So communities, depending on how close they see the threat, they are tackling the problem in different ways. And what Weblo Frontiers are doing is to kickstart this business. So we, in 2017, signed an agreement with the government of French Polynesia the islands in French Polynesia, 30% of them also are estimated to sink due to sea level rise uh, before 2100. 
So uh, one of the reasons why the president signed the agreement with us was uh, precisely to adapt, to become more resilient in the face of these threats. So that on one side. So on the infrastructure or physical side of it, so far there is no system yet being built. We are in conversation with several host nations and we also host a contest, a make your own system contest, where we are trying to incentivize people in seven parts of the world to apply by visiting blue-frontiers.global to apply and build assisted in their cities, in their coastal cities. The final prize is, well, bringing a huge investment of around $60 million to their coastal cities and 100K for them and becoming members of the consortium. But, but um, yeah, that's, that's what we do. We're incentivizing people to, to be more aware of how eventually sea level rise will unfortunately make some communities vanish and also how we can use this as a business opportunity to also improve how we make decisions because political decisions because what we have nowadays is that individuals are subjected to whatever rules there exist in the territory where they live and there's nothing you can do i mean you can try to exit but we still are very much bounded by passports and arbitrary nationalities. So what seasteading is about, where it comes from politically, is from creating a mobile geography of floating communities on the ocean, where if you don't like how whoever is providing the service of governance on the ocean is doing it, if you don't feel satisfied with it, you can just take your house or your building or your community and float it to another seasteading where governance is done in a better way. So this would push governments to provide a much better service on the basis of the competition, where if they don't do things well, people will just leave to another place. So no, there is no system yet being built, but we are trying to expand our vision by means of this contest and through the awareness of sea level rise. And that's... It's such a great way for people to vote. You just vote with your physical, your physical buildings and your physical businesses and being able to float it away. Um, and so would people be creating new governances and, and new communities or would, or would uh, existing places like Miami just create like a satellite uh, floating island? So in the case of Miami, uh, at first, seasteading was about, was focused on creating Seasteads in international waters, but building in international waters is really costly because, well, the depth is very, 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 very big and that increases the cost dramatically. So we decided to be close uh, to nations to build our first seasteads in the coastal waters, in the territorial waters of host nations, because we would be closer to infrastructure. It would be Cheaper, cheaper to ship things and also the depth of the water will won't be, won't be so high, so large as in the open ocean. So that decreases the costs a lot. Uh, so in the case of Miami, uh, Miami is part of the US, what would happen, what would probably happen is what the Netherlands is currently doing, which is to expand their coastal land by creating floating infrastructure. Ideally, and our long-term goal 
is to have cities, mobile cities, dynamic cities in international waters and in the open ocean. But it's more practical that for these first iterations, we start close to, to nations. So in some cases, uh, like with French Polynesia, for example, that would entail becoming not a fully autonomous territory or a micronation, like we hope to, to have many in the future in the open ocean, but a special economic zone. We, we have around 4,000 of them in the world right now, and they allow a lot of flexibility when it comes to regulations, including governance regulations, immigrations, labor, visas, but also they provide stability, stability in terms of regulations, which incentivizes businesses to go and locate there. Wow. So let's get into some of the technicalness. And, I, you know, you might not be in this part of it, but, you know, what goes into building these, these seasteads? What, what is required? A lot, obviously a lot. What are some of the main components that go into it? Okay, so we need to think in the, uh, about the energy component of it. In the case of the Blue Frontiers Seasteads, we have an architecture firm called Blutiny One, and they have the environmental and ecological commitment, not even of being sustainable, but being restorative. So how can we create, with our floating platforms, and how can we restore the area of the water around surrounding our platforms? So what we've been looking since for many years already, but especially after we signed the agreement with the government of French Polynesia and we started focusing on a specific location is energy. So uh, for the case of the floating island project in French Polynesia, it's going to be just solar because, well, it's very, uh, it's enough to use solar panels for what we need in this first project. We are also looking into waste and water systems and we've done extensive work on what are the best ways of having closed loop waste systems so that nothing is thrown, nothing is disposed to the lagoon. Our most conservative measures, our pessimistic measures uh, are around 98% of reutilization. So only 2% of maybe, maybe we are, we are dealing with, with those maybes right now, maybe a... Uh, um, at the end of the recycling, reutilization process of water, maybe that will be uh, in the lagoon. But what we are fully designing is, is to have fully closed loop systems. So we collect the rainwater, we use them in our villas or in our bungalows or in the co-working spaces on the systems. Then like in Singapore, they are retreated and treated five four times and then they go to the floating farms so we want to have fully closed loop systems so that no toxic substances are, are disposed to the lagoon so that the pH or the alkalinity of the, of the water doesn't change so that the oxygenation levels also doesn't change, don't change so that we can have the balance that we, we do not change the, the balance of the nutrients in the water. And in case we do change it, do change them, what we are trying to see is how can we use the platforms in the benefits of the, of the life that already exists there. For example, we are looking into how concrete carbonation, so a leaking of concrete that occurs naturally uh, with the, the erosion of concrete, how can that um, help or incentivize new sessile organisms to, to come and, and live in our platforms? So 
uh, energy, water, waste, also information and communications technology, because a lot of the people who will live there, or whether permanently or temporarily, will rely a lot on good internet connection. So many are interested in cryptocurrencies in the whole blockchain environment. Actually, we have our own cryptocurrency, our own token. It's called Varium. If anybody who's listening wants to know more about how will we use the Varium to decentralize governance more, just visit Vary, V-A-R-Y-O-N.io and get an... We are currently in our pre-sale. So a lot of the people who have shown interest are a part of this wave of blockchain technology. So we need good internet connection. Um, there's there's so many things that go also a political and legal aspect because if you are creating a special economic zone or a season, which is a floating special economic zone, we also need a, a team of good lawyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Why don't you dive in a little bit more to... Talk about the, the coin that you have, the token that's in your pre-sale. Sure. So it's called Varion uh, <laughs> because what we want is to increase the diversity, the variety of forms of governance that currently exist. We want to go beyond the traditional framework provided by nation states by creating a floating infrastructure that would incentivize this this exponential or this combinatorial explosion in forms of governance thanks to the environment that the ocean provides, thanks to the fluidity of the ocean. So the very ONISA utility token, our white paper is online right now and we are looking into, we are doing uh, some improvements on it right now so that people have more input in in the token. Um, we are raising a hard cap of $15 million. Our soft cap for the pre-sale is five. The progress is also there live. And we are really, um, I cannot say much of what we are, how we are improving it at this point, but the idea is that if we use, a, we could, for example, create on top of the utility token, uh, which is a standard ERC20 token, we are looking into non-fungible tokens so that we can deal with things like uh, land revenue models or more interesting things like that. We are also adding a component is very likely of e-residency, similar to what Estonia did with its e-residence program, which attracted 30,000 people. So the very one is going to be really interesting. This is the means of exchange in the Blue Frontiers ecosystem, although we expect that it's also as other tokens exchange outside of Blue Frontiers and our systems itself. It's not going to be the only means of exchange in our in our projects because we want to we want the market to be in charge of deciding what is this, and also we want individuals to voluntarily use it. But in order to transact with Blue Frontier systems. It is going to be the very own. And right now we are the only company who's working on systems. So my my take on our token is that uh, it is the right moment to to get in right now. Each very own is around four cents of US dollar, which is really low. Uh, obviously, people should do their own due diligence, but I this is the right moment to 
to buy the, in the Blue Frontiers and in the sistering ecosystem, because as I said, sea level rise is a reality. And the fact that individuals every time since the internet and now with blockchain want to have more input in decision-making processes, that's going to continue to be a trend. And we provide a solution for both things. So I, I do see, I do foresee a very good future for our company, for seasteading, definitely. So when I'm looking at these, at these uh, floating islands and seasteads, what kind of impact would they have? You know, say we have lots of these communities and they're on the water. What potential impacts environmentally would you see because of these? Okay. Um, our architects, Blue 21, they have an environmental assessment framework. An environmental assessment framework is where you put the worst case scenarios possible problems that can happen thanks to the due to the existence of a project on the environment and how the environment also would influence the project. And they focus on nine parameters, nine things where our project could affect the environment somehow. So things like I mentioned before, like alkalinity, uh, toxic substances being disposed, um, well, I'll use one example because one, I know we are short of time. One of these aspects is light. So if you have platforms that are floating, but anyway, fixed or moored to the seafloor, then you have shading. The shading can prevent uh, plants that are underneath to do their photosynthesis process. So if you have a structure that is very large, then the the well the the area underneath is going to be affected negatively. Also, if you had platforms where people live, or humans use a lot of light at night. So light is one of these aspects, whether because you block it due to the existence of the platforms or because you use too much at night. So one of the solutions that our architects came um that our architects focused on was, okay, let's just use at night or for external parts of the system, type of lights that don't affect or that are outside of the visual spectrum, the visual light spectrum of fish. So it turns out that fish cannot see orange or red light. So maybe it's very likely that the external parts of our uh, project will be, will use um, orange light at night. And for the shading, the permanent shading, what we've done is to design the, our, our platforms in a way that the light, that the platforms are small enough that they never block completely the area, the area underneath. So if the sun goes, and this is how the sun, the sun goes west to east. So our platforms will be oriented in a way that every single part of the sea floor will receive at some point of the day light. So that is what we are doing. We are taking the environmental component really, really seriously. And this is, some, this is one of the aspects in which I am focusing in my PhD, the environmental component of systems and particularly the Floating Island project and um, projects of Blue Frontiers. And... I must say that I'm very, very satisfied with the work that our architects at Blue 21 are doing. Another thing is monitoring. It's not only about the design or making sure that the construction process 
it happens in a in a very ethical manner, bioethical. Um, for example, by not building inside the water because that can create a lot of sound pollution. Um, but also monitoring. So they have a company called Indiamo that will do a 24/7 monitoring of the water, and this will produce a lot of data. We'll have real-time data of everything that is happening in, in our lagoon. We are also looking into how can our systems attract more life by using our platforms as artificial reefs. So we are going to put underneath our platforms artificial reefs so that uh, sessile organisms, fish, corals start growing there. And we've also looked, okay, so what if we, uh, what if this artificial reef would attract animals that otherwise would be living in a much healthier and more natural artificial reef. How can we, what distance do we need to be from the actual reefs? So there are a lot of details that we are looking at in, in, in order to avoid possible problems related to the environment. Oh, absolutely. And this is all so interesting and also very complex. What's the best place for people to go and learn more about you know, what you're up to, follow this journey, and potentially invest in the, the coin. Sure. So in order to follow us, our team, I host the podcast. You can find it on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podbean. My favorite is YouTube because it has the videos. So if you go to YouTube and look for Blue Frontiers podcast, you'll be able to see uh, conversations with our the members of the project. So we have all of the five co-founders. We have our architects. We have our advisors. We are working on videos on our volunteers, but with our volunteers, but but also um, with our community that is uh, not necessarily working with Blue Frontiers, but they are associated with us somehow. So if you want to follow our progress, the podcast and the YouTube channel are a very good place. We're also on Facebook. We also have an active Telegram channel, if you look for Blue Frontiers. Uh, And in order to get informed about the token, uh, visit veryon.io. There's our white paper, our advisors in the the token, our team, everything is, is there. We also have a Twitter. But I would say that my favorite, not because I host it, not because I'm biased, but... My favorite is definitely the podcast, the Facebook, and like I said, the website is veryon.io. But also, very importantly, if you live in, in a coastal city or if you have in mind a location where you would like to have assisted or you think that it would be interesting for us to start conversations to see what we can do there, uh, visit blue-frontiers.global. So that, who knows, maybe in your coastal city, you'll be the curator or the initiator of one of our first systems. That would be fantastic. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us here today and and giving us such an insight into this very exciting uh, new technology and and just new way of looking at our world. It's been a pleasure, Juliet. Anytime. Thank you very much for having me here. That was Natalie Meza-Garcia. She is a evangelist at Blue Frontiers and a PhD candidate at Warwick, studying and bringing into fruition the Floating Islands Project. 
I'm Juliette Lamar for Future Tech Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.